pray that you are all well, and welcome to our final week working our way through the Gospel of Mark. A study that we started, church, back on September 5th of 2021, and that has lasted just over 23 months and consisted of approximately 80 sermons as well. Therefore, in light of all that, before we wrap up this study of the Gospel of Mark today, for I just want to express my appreciation and my gratitude to you all for allowing myself and the other elders who helped me, specifically that of Alex and Ricardo, the opportunity to preach word by word, line by line, and verse by verse through this entire Gospel, as it truly has been an honor and a privilege to try our absolute best to properly exegete and to interpret the gospel of Mark for you all. So I just wanted to thank you, Faith Bible Fellowship Church, for giving us this opportunity, and I pray that it has been a blessing to you all here as well. And with that, we will be wrapping up the gospel of Mark this morning, church, by looking specifically at Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8 or at the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To which you might be sitting there this morning, thinking to yourself at this time, but wait a second, for why on earth are we stopping at verse 8? I mean, I know you are going on vacation today, Pastor Wes, but you also just spoke about going word by word and verse by verse through this entire gospel. And yet now you are not going to preach through verses 9 through 20. I mean, what's the deal with that? And the reason why, church, we are not going to be working our way through verses 9 through 20 in the gospel of Mark isn't because I am leaving for vacation, nor because I just don't feel like preaching through some of those controversial verses in that text, but instead the reason why we are not going to be working our way through verses 9 through 20 in the Gospel of Mark quite simply is because those verses were almost certainly not written by the author of the Gospel of Mark, John Mark himself, but instead were almost certainly written by a scribe later on. And the reason I say that, church, as numerous scholars and commentators write and point out here, is because, number one, the earliest and the best manuscripts that we have of the Gospel of Mark do not possess verses 9 through 20, including the two earliest and, as most regard, the most reliable Greek manuscripts that we have. Number two, because the overall writing style and grammar and vocabulary that we see in verses 9 through 20 does not seem to be similar to or in harmony with the writing style of the rest of the Gospel of Mark. And number three, because some of the content that we read about in verses 9 through 20, particularly that of the different signs mentioned, for they not only do not align with how the other Gospel writers ended their Gospels, but also the picking up of serpents and the drinking of deadly poison as seen in verse 18 Again, as one commentator writes, for that lacks biblical support as well. And thus, because of all that, I tend to align myself with the overwhelming majority of the Bible scholarship that is out there today that does not believe, then, that verses 9 through 20 were written by John Mark and thus were not originally part of the Gospel of Mark either. 
Hence why we will conclude the Gospel of Mark this morning at verse 8. Which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, died as a ransom for many, was buried, and three days later then rose from the dead. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church, is this. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, died as a ransom for many, was buried, and three days later then rose from the dead. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you, as our gift to you this morning. Because trust me, we want you to have and to be reading your very own copy of the Word of God, which you can start doing today by opening that brand new Bible of yours up at this time to page 853, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Mark chapter 16 this morning, church, and we will be looking specifically at verses 1 through 8, where John Mark the author of the Gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he has told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid." Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we have been studying these last couple weeks about the crucifixion and the death and the burial of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man, Father, we come to see in the text today that Jesus did not stay buried. He did not stay dead in some grave, but we worship a Savior who rose from the dead, who defeated sin, who conquered death, 
And as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for all those who confess that Jesus is the Christ and the Lord of all, and they believe in his gospel, they will be raised to new life as well. Thus, let us cling to this resurrection this morning and be willing to proclaim this resurrection this morning and not merely to be fearful and to remain silent over the resurrection. Father, open the eyes and the ears of the dear ones here today. Father, soften our hearts, for let this gospel message penetrate it like never before, giving us a new zeal like never before for this gospel, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you help my lisping and my stammering tongue this morning as well. Father, to be faithful to this text, to encourage each one of the saints here today with your word. And Father, that you be glorified above all else as we praise, as we worship, and we share this morning about the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this, point number one. Although the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was crucified, died, and was buried, three days later he rose from the dead. Point number one, although the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was crucified, died, and was buried, three days later he rose from the dead. Verses one through six. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So as we open here this morning, church, Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, at this point in the text, has been handed over by the Sanhedrin to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Questioned by this Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, and eventually then, stripped of his clothes, tied to a post, and then struck over and over and over again with a lead-tipped whip to the point that chunks of his own flesh had been ripped off his back only to then be mocked by Pilate's soldiers who put a purple cloak around him, a crown of thorns on him, saluted him, struck him on the head with a reed, spit on him, and knelt down in homage to him. To which he, Jesus Christ then, after being brought to a place called Golgotha, or to Calvary, was then crucified by being nailed to a wooden cross, with five to seven-inch nails, and then having that wooden cross raised up into the air, 
drop down into a post hole, only for he, Jesus Christ, then to just hang there in pain and in misery for approximately six hours, church, until he, Jesus Christ, then finally gave up his life and died. And thus being that Jesus Christ here was now dead, For one of his disciples then, a rich man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, as Matthew chapter 27 puts it, for he then on that Friday evening, seemingly with the help of some others, took Jesus' dead body down off that cross and very likely then washed Jesus' dead body and clean the blood off Jesus' dead body, and then wrap Jesus' dead body in a linen shroud, laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of a rock, and then rolled a stone against the entrance of that tomb, all in order to bury this now dead and deceased Jesus Christ. However, as we see in our text today in verse 1, that when the Sabbath was passed, And that when the Jewish Sabbath was over, which would have ended on sundown, Saturday evening, that verse 1, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, the same three women, mind you, church, who are mentioned back in Mark chapter 15, verse 40, as being present at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that these women here in verse 1 bought spices, so that they might go and anoint Jesus Christ. In essence, as a way to express their love and to honor Jesus Christ by covering his body at this time with fragrant oils, all as a way to diminish, so they thought, the smell of his decaying flesh. And thus, verse 2, very early then on the first day of the week, Or very early then on Sunday morning, when the sun had risen, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome went to the tomb, which they knew the exact location of since Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, as we saw back in Mark chapter 15, verse 47, were both present at Jesus' burial and thus knew exactly then where Jesus Christ was ultimately laid. Nevertheless, these women then went to the tomb in verse 3, for as they were going to the tomb in verse 3, They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Since if you can remember, church, Jesus Christ had not only been placed in a tomb cut out of a rock, but also then a large stone had been rolled up against the entrance of that tomb. A stone that could have weighed, church, as previously mentioned, anywhere between 1,500 and 3,000 pounds. However, when these women then do indeed arrive at the tomb where Jesus Christ had previously been laid, as we see in verse 4, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, which took place, as Matthew 28, verse 2 notes, when there was a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone. And thus, with this verse 4, very large stone now, rolled back, and the entrance of the tomb now open, entering the tomb. These women then, verse 5, saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And make no mistake about it, for this wasn't jest. 
some young man sitting there in a white robe who alarmed these women here. But instead, this was an angel here, church. Again, as Matthew 28, verse 2 notes. And two, as Luke 24, 4 notes, was in dazzling apparel. Or as the NIV puts it, was in clothes that gleamed like lightning. And thus in seeing this angel for these women then, for they were alarmed here, church, and in shock here, church, and amazed and bewildered and frightened and in absolute astonishment here, church, to which this angel then says to the women here in verse 6, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified and that this angel knows that these women here came to the tomb at this time looking for and seeking this Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. And David Burgess here, church, for he once shared this, that while the the battle of Waterloo was being fought, that all of England during that time waited breathlessly for news. And at last the message came slowly across the channel. And Wellington, defeated, had just been spelled out when a sudden blanket of fog obscured the signals. Therefore news of this disaster quickly spread, and the deepest of gloom then settled upon the land. However, eventually, the whole message was completed. That message being, Wellington defeated the enemy. And their sorrow then quickly turned into great rejoicing. Similarly, in the gloom of Good Friday, the followers of Jesus Christ could only see Jesus defeated. And yet, in the new light of Resurrection Sunday... This glorious truth then broke in on their sorrow. That truth being that Jesus defeated the enemy. And thus this angel here, church, this heavenly messenger here, church, this angelic being here, church, not only says to the women in verse 6, do not be alarmed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified but also then goes on to say to them and to disclose to them and to reveal to them and to share with them that this Jesus of Nazareth, that he has risen and that he is not here. In essence, that this crucified and killed and buried Jesus of Nazareth, who just three days before breathed his last on that cross at Calvary and stopped living and talking, walking and thinking and who was with out a shadow of a doubt, no questions asked, undeniably dead, that this Jesus of Nazareth, as the angel makes clear here in verse 6, has risen from the dead and is not here, for see the place where they laid him, since the tomb here, church, is now empty. And not because Jesus' dead body was taken here, church, 
nor because some thieves broke into the tomb and ran away with it here, church, nor even because Jesus' own disciples stole it in order to be able to tell people that Jesus rose from the dead here, church. But instead, as this heavenly messenger makes clear for the reason why this Jesus of Nazareth is no longer in this tomb, in this grave, and no longer in the place where they laid him, is because this Jesus of Nazareth, this Son of God, this Son of Man, this God-man himself, who was crucified, dead, and buried, has risen from the dead, just as he said he would do back in Mark chapter 8, in Mark chapter 9, and in Mark chapter 10. Which brings us now to point number two. Christian, we have a God who is willing to forgive us of our very sins. Christian, we have a God who is willing to forgive us of our very sins. Verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he has told you. So after telling Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome that Jesus Christ, verse 6, has risen from the dead and that he is not here and to see the place where they laid him, for the angel then says to these women in verse 7, go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he has told you. Recalling here, church, Jesus' words from Mark chapter 14, verse 28, which reads, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And that the angel here, church, tells these women to go tell Jesus' disciples and Peter, You know, the same disciples here, church, who back in Mark chapter 14, verse 50, left Jesus Christ and fled from him upon his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you know, the same Simon Peter, who back in Mark chapter 14, said to Jesus Christ, that although all the rest of your disciples will all fall away, for I, Simon Peter, will not, and even if I must die with you, I will not deny you, Only to then, church, just a few hours later, go on to deny Jesus Christ, not one time, not two times, but instead that of three times. And yet this angel here, church, does not tell these women then to go to Jesus' disciples and to tell them that he's now done with all of them, or that he's now left all of them, or that he's now forsaken them, and to also make sure that they tell Simon Peter that Jesus Christ never, ever, ever wants to see him again. But instead, the angel tells these women to go and to tell Jesus' disciples and Peter that he, Jesus, is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he has told you. Which, as Eckerd Schnebel explains it, This message here that these women are to convey to the 11 remaining disciples of Jesus Christ, for it signals then the assurance of forgiveness and restoration as well. And thus in light of that, J.C. Ryle, for he wrote this, for let us observe then the exceeding kindness of our God toward 
his backsliding servants. Since the message in which the angel conveys here in our text is a striking illustration of that. Since all of Jesus' disciples were to be pardoned and to be restored to favor, even that of Simon Peter, just like the rest. Now, we may well say here when we read these words, for that is not the manner of man, but at no point perhaps are our views of religion so narrow and so low and so reduced as to the point of our God's exceeding willingness to pardon repentant sinners. For too often we think of our God as one such as ourselves, and we forget that our God delights in unchanging love. Therefore, let us leave this passage with a determination to open the door of mercy very wide to sinners in all our speaking and teaching about religion, and to also leave this passage with a resolution never to be unforgiving toward our fellow man, since if Christ is so ready to forgive us, we ought to then be very ready to forgive others. And thus, as we wrap up, point number two, for I just want to lovingly remind you all here today that if you are sitting there this morning and say someone in the past, maybe even a brother or a sister in Christ, has wronged you, dear Christian, or has sinned against you, dear Christian, or maybe even said something that offended you, did something that hurt you, behaved in a way that upset you, or reacted in a way that most certainly did wound you, for you have not been called to hate that person Christian, nor to be unwilling to forgive that person Christian, nor to harbor enmity or hostility or animosity or to hold a lifelong grudge against that person Christian, but instead you have been called to forgive that person Christian. And thus, if you are struggling in any way to do that, dear Christian, then be quick to remind yourself that although you do indeed continue to sin against your most holy God and continue to not follow perfectly all the ways of your most holy God, that if you confess your sins, Christian, that your God is still faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness and to then let that truth and that reality, dear Christian, embolden you and exhilarate you and encourage you to always be willing willing then to forgive others, give grace to others, and to show mercy to others who may have indeed sinned against you, since you have a God, Christian, who is always, always, always willing to forgive you of your sins when you repent of your sins, no matter how big, how foolish, or how wicked any of those sins of yours might ultimately be. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, for I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who was here first, and in essence, really put together for you at this time, and to share with you at this time the meaning of the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And thus, this gospel message of Jesus Christ then, non-Christian, or this good news of Jesus Christ then, non-Christian, for it goes something like this, that because we as sinners are dead in our sins, 
and deserve the wrath and the punishment and the eternal condemnation of our most holy God for our very sins in love. God the Father then sent his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, into this world as truly God and as truly man to live and to dwell amongst us and to save us from our sins, which he did by initially living a life here on earth that was free from any kind of sin, and that the life that Jesus Christ lived while he lived and dwelt among us was a life, non-Christian, that was holy and righteous, just and good, free from any kind of wickedness or transgressions, iniquity or sin. And thus because of that, he, Jesus Christ then, fulfilled the law of God perfectly and completely and without any kind of offense, and he did it, non-Christian, all for the very children of God. However, fulfilling the law of God, all for the very children of God, for that was not all that this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, accomplished while he lived and dwelt among us. And I say that because, being that the wage of our sin or the cost of our sin, is that of death. For he, Jesus Christ then, willing, was nailed to and pierced, crucified and crushed on an old rugged cross at Calvary, and ultimately then gave up his own life as a ransom for many. And yet in doing so, non-Christian, he, Jesus Christ then, satisfied the justice of our holy God and appease then, non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God all toward his sinful children as well. And thus, because of that, three days later then, this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, for he didn't stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead, three days later, he, Jesus Christ then, for he rose from the dead, and he defeated sin, and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his perfect life, in his righteousness, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sins and you place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, first we go on to see then in verse 8, that they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And that after seeing the angel here, church, and hearing the message from this angel here, church, that these women then, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now this silence from the women here, as numerous commentators point out, was only temporary, since as we see in Luke chapter 24, verse 9, 
that's returning from the tomb that they, the women then, told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. And yet John Mark here, church, for he doesn't say any of that, but instead just simply ends his gospel here with these women fleeing from the tomb and saying nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Which obviously then leads to the question, why? For why exactly does John Mark here just end his gospel so suddenly and so abruptly with these women in short saying nothing to anyone because they were afraid? And I think the best answer to that question is, as Mark Strauss explains it, For although the women here have the resurrection announcement, for they have still not seen Jesus Christ alive. And thus the question is then, for will they respond with faith or with fear? Which is the very same question confronting Mark's original readers who were suffering and even dying for their faith. And is the very same question that believers throughout all the ages must answer here as well. For how will we respond to the announcement of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? For will we respond with faith and boldly proclaim this message? Or with fear and with silence? For Mark's gospel is a reminder that the coming of Jesus Christ changed everything. That through his life, death, and resurrection, that he has defeated Satan, sin, and death for all time. And that the kingdom of God has been inaugurated and will be consummated when the Son of Man returns in glory. And that the invitation to enter that kingdom stands open to those who respond in faith. Which is a message worth celebrating and a message worth proclaiming. And thus, as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, for I'd like to do so in light of the gospel of Mark as a whole, and by sharing with you at this time that Jesus of Nazareth, the man who we have been reading about and learning about and studying for approximately two years now, the Son of God and the Son of Man, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Lion from the tribe of Judah, the last Adam, the Root of David, and the Lamb of God who was slain, the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection, and the life, and the bread of life, the Good Shepherd of the sheep, the true vine, the head of the church, the chief cornerstone, the King of kings, Lord of lords, Redeemer, Mediator, Messiah, and Savior of the world, that three days after being crucified and killed and buried, that this Jesus of Nazareth then rose from the dead, and he defeated sin, destroyed eternal death once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him, which, make no mistake about it, is a message, Christian, worth professing and sharing, making known and declaring to this entire world, since whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him, John three thirty six.
And thus, as those who have heard this gospel message, church, and to have grasped this gospel message, church, and who believe in and trust in and who have placed their faith in this gospel message of Jesus Christ, church, for lovingly then, let me appeal to you to not be fearful of sharing this gospel message or to be ashamed of proclaiming this gospel message or to be silent when someone you know needs to be saved from their sins and to hear this gospel message, but to instead make it your goal here, Christian, to go into all the world and to proclaim this gospel message to all who still need to hear it, whether that be your friends or your family members, your co-workers or your neighbors, your bosses or your colleagues, your classmates or your roommates, and to let them know, Christian, boldly and clearly, courageously and unapologetically, that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, was buried and was raised on the third day, all in accordance with those very same scriptures as well, since that gospel message and that message alone is the power of God for salvation, church, to everyone who believes. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body that we realize like never before this morning the gift that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that three days later, then he rose from the dead and appeared to Simon and to the Twelve, to James and to more than 500 brothers at one time, meaning that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is historical and factual, really did happen and is absolutely true. And thus, because of that, give us the confidence then, Father, to not only to believe in this truth with all of our hearts and to trust in this truth with every fiber of our beings, but to also then be willing to boldly proclaim this truth to the world, since it truly is the greatest and most important message that this world has ever received, since it is the only message that can save sinners from their very sins and reconcile them back to their most holy God forever. But it only comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in the King of the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ alone, who died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and who three days later then gloriously rose from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his perfect life that he lived for us, keeping your law, Father, a law that we as your people could never keep. And yet Jesus Christ, he never broke that law once. And thank you, Father, for his willingness to be the sacrifice for our sins, to be our propitiation, to willingly take our sins upon himself and to bear the wrath of our most holy God that we deserve for our sins on that cross at Calvary, which perfectly then appeased the wrath of our holy God toward his sinful children. That's because Jesus never sinned, because the wrath of God was perfectly satisfied three days later then. 
Jesus Christ was raised for our justification as those who place their faith in him are declared righteous. His perfect life imputed onto us, his righteousness imputed onto us so that we now can be saved from our sins and stand in the presence of our most holy God forever. What a marvelous gift, Father, one that we will never fully be able to comprehend. But I pray that through the preaching of this gospel of Mark that we come to know the gift of the gospel just a little more. Strengthen us in the faith, Lord, that was once and for all delivered to the saints, I pray. And help us to love your son just a little more today. In Jesus' name, amen.